This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello and welcome to Back of the Nest, the Palace Years. This time it's season 15, 16, an FA Cup run and um, both sides of Alan Pardew. We'll be back in just a moment. Back of the Nest, the Palace Years. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, let me introduce my panel. For this one, I have Mr. Mike Scott. Hello. Hello. And I also have Mr. Patrick O'Connor. Long time no speak, Christopher. Yeah, it's been ages, isn't it? Been and, long, um, long time, you know, yeah. You, you never do these uh, Palace Year shows either. We never get you on for these. Never. So, no. Um, just a, by, by way of a little warm-up for me, but I just need to get this off my chest because I, I feel a little unsettled. Um, so just before recording this, because I'm old now, I went for a, for a little nap. So um, and I was having one of those fairly vivid dreams that you have if you have a nap. And uh, it was just it's just a usual family day. Um, the, the scene was I was at my parents' house and lots of extended family around. About halfway through the j- dream, I realized that they are all Chinese. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Who knows what that means, eh? Um, woke up before I uh, figured out whether I was Chinese, um, but I, I wonder what it means. Um, is, is it that I fear the rise of the red dragon, do we think? Or, um, Possibly. Well, or perhaps I just shouldn't have eaten all that cheese. That might have been, might have been what it was. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna look up what that means on like Freud.com or something. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and obviously, if you've got any ideas, listen to this and you want to get in touch, hi at backofthenest.com is the email address. Let me know what you think. Uh, is it a political thing? Um, do I secretly want to be Chinese? Who knows? But um, but yeah, yeah, just thought I would share that with you all. Uh, but as we always do in this, we start with the transfer business we did uh, in the season itself. And it was a it was a very interesting one. Not huge numbers into the club. Um, I think over the last few seasons, you would have heard um, quite a lot of change in terms of personnel in and out of the in and out of the squad. But fairly focused it was in this game. And obviously, we've just left a season. Uh, 14-15, where Alan Pardew came in as the saviour, kept Palace in the league, actually took us to 10th position, and all sorts of optimism about the season ahead. And uh, that was kind of furthered by the big signing of the summer, the marquee signing, the kind of player we really didn't think that we were going to get when it was first rumoured. Um, from Paris Saint-Germain, we signed Johan Kabay. Um, huge amount of excitement, Mike. And, you know, what did you what did you feel? I remember thinking it was an absolute bargain, um, you know, ten million pounds. Uh, I I was pretty excited because it was it was one of those things, a bit like when Frank de Boer came in. Obviously, it didn't turn out that way, but um, it felt like something totally new for Palace. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't think anyone was anything other than really excited. Um, just to let you know, by the way. To dream of Chinese people represents aspects of your personality that forego feeling good to achieve goals. Being uninterested or unbiased and a conservative view of a situation, so discipline. So you were dreaming of disciplined people around you. So I'm guessing someone at your work has pissed you off. Yeah, almost definitely. Yeah, I will, uh, I'll have a good think about that. <laughs> Patrick? Yeah, I initially liked the Kabai signing. Um, I have to admit, I confused him a little bit at time with Hatem Ben Arthur because I remember them both being at Newcastle. I remember one match a few years ago, both of them, one of them ripped us a new one at Sellers Park, and I realised now it wasn't goodbye that did it was it was Ben Arthur, wasn't it? But um, great reputation, obviously came from uh, you know Newcastle PSG. I mean, guy, great player, and um, I was looking forward to him, forward to him coming. Um, and um, I honestly think he underachieved slightly for us. We can get into that later on, but I do think I was very excited at the time for the signing. Indeed. Well, I think um, firstly, I think you were actually right. There was a game at Sellers Park where. I think Sissoko was yes. pretty good as well yep. for Newcastle, but but Kabai really didn't run the Kibai, show. Okay. He was he was yeah he was head and shoulders above every other player on the pitch. He was absolutely superb. I think they do us four 0 yes. or something like that. Four one. <laughs> four one. It was four. Oh yeah, yeah. And I can remember a very smug Alan Pardew afterwards saying, "Well, I think the Palace fans would have enjoyed watching my team." No, we didn't, <laughs> Alan. And that is another reason. That is a reason why people don't like you because you've got no self awareness, have you? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> plenty of time for that throughout the course of this show um yeah for me it was just it was a massive massive signing we'd seen that as you say we'd seen him do that to us in recent memory to go on a, um, obviously a really big money move to Paris Saint-Germain at the time he was you know first choice to central defensive midfielder for France um it was just it was a massive massive signing he was never going to live up to that expectation because I think a lot of people you know, you remember players like that in highlights if you're not watching them every week. So you remember him smashing in free kicks, which I don't think he ever got one for us. Um, and you remember him hitting all these long-range goals and being a really, you know, attacking player. But the player we bought was was a sort of a deep-lying playmaker kind of kind of player. 
Um, I think people took a long, long time to adjust. There was all this talk that we're buying a number 10 and that's what we've needed for ages. And he, and he wasn't that. Um, but I think we know now when, when he went, we, we just missed him. And, and I think he brought a lot more to the team than people realise. But I completely agree with what you're saying, Patrick, in the fact that overall he did slightly underachieve at Palace, um, if you look at it in the general sense. He um he had a he had a decent goal return early on though didn't he because he because he was penalty taker, um and I, I remember him being feeling like he was a, a fairly um reliable one as well. Just uh, let's have a look at how many goals he scored. So six that season, um and I think probably about four or five of those were penalties, um but he he don't he certainly did seem to drift backwards in the team, um back towards defensive midfield a bit more as the time went on. Absolutely right. But um, yeah, so great, great start to the, the window. We also um, tried to solve our striker problem, didn't we, everyone? Tried to solve the old striker problem there by signing a, a, an exciting young player on loan from Chelsea. He'd been tearing up the championship the season before, uh, championship player of the season. Exactly the sort of signing that everybody wanted to see. A young lad called uh, Patrick Bamford. See, I thought you were going to talk about Conor Wickham there. <laughs> um, and I was about to come up with some great, great positivity about how he'd really impressed me in the Sunderland shirt, and you've you've, you've cornered me with a, a Patrick Bamford. <laughs> I have. I've I've introduced Bamford to the equation, and you, you're just reeling from it. Uh, Patrick, you're going to jump in first on that. Yeah, I'm proud to say I saw Bamford play his last match for Pat Crystal Palace. I flew over for the Christmas break, and I saw him play against Chelsea, and then leave right after that game. And he couldn't leave fast enough. He was a terrible signing terrible sign it was one of the worst we've ever made terrible I mean I just uh, you know he it was pretty clear that he joined the club with an ego exactly I think I think things had gone really well for him in Middlesbrough and you don't mind a player with a bit of confidence but you know everything that we now know was that he never he never approached it with any kind of a work ethic he saw himself as a as a Chelsea player who had gone out on loan and excelled, and this was the natural next step for him. And it was just going to be exactly as it was. It was going to be easy. He was going to walk into that team, score the goals. He was the same as he was scoring last season in the division below. But as we've seen from so many strikers, it's such a different thing to score goals in the Championship than it is in the Premier League. And the very least you have to do for any club, but especially for Palace fans, is put the effort in. Not wander around like a haircut on legs. It was just absolutely... It was traumatising to watch him even attempt to play football at times. And when he left, he was a bitter man, wasn't he? I, I can't remember which one out of him and Adebayo. One of them said that joining Palace was the worst uh, thing they ever did in their career. And the other one said that they like hated every minute of it. I can't remember which one was. I think Adebayo said it was the worst decision and Bamford just said he couldn't stand being there. Uh, yeah, what a bastard. Yeah, <laughs> well... You know, ringing endorsements there, but I think both those players have to kind of look inward rather than at the club. I mean, Bam- Bamford went on to sign on loan for Norwich and was similarly awful in the Premier League and had to drop a division to do anything. And, you know, now most people hate him in general anyway um, because he because uh, of his cheating at Leeds last. Um, I've, I've put time in there, but he whilst on loan at Leeds, he cheated. There you go. Uh, but awful, awful loan signing. Got to be up there with some of the worst... Um, signings we've ever brought into the club and I don't blame the club for that there was every reason to think that that was a good thing to do um, big reputation had proved himself at championship level and you, you really would expect a player of 
who who just had a season like that to to really want to push on, not just to turn up and expect it. Hugely disappointing. Another disappointing um, situation happened. We signed Alex McCarthy. Um, sort of that period where we stopped, we were constantly looking for a, a new number one to replace Wayne Hennessy. Um, Alex McCarthy was chosen by Pardew in the club. Um, I, you know, I remember. I think I saw his first. I think his first ever game was against Palace for Reading. I'm pretty sure that's true. Um, I saw him as a very young keeper and joined us. Um, and I think unfairly treated by uh, badly by Alan Pardew. I think it's fair to say went on to do very well at Southampton, although um, lost his place after England recognition. But um, looked relatively solid for us. But then a couple of mistakes. I forget exactly the game it was where he um, had that absolute Liverpool. horror. Um, past Liverpool, that's exa- yeah, there we go. Um, and he was hung out to dry for that and never given another opportunity. Yeah, I'm, that is the the one signing I'm the most upset about um, during Alan Pardew's uh, era. era. Um, he just he started against Norwich the first match. And I thought he did really well in the first few games. We actually got off the very good start that season. And again, that little match, and I think someone, you guys probably know better now, it was a whole match. Someone said to me, did they water the pitch at halftime? Because apparently that's what caused that 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 error that he made. He's is a slip of some kind that happened. That's why the, they scored that goal that beat us. And I and I just think that he, like you said he was so unfairly treated by Pardew. And, and the look in retrospect, had you had we kept him, just you know fought through that, he'd have been our our, our goalkeeper through all these you know Dwayne Hennessy times. And just think about how what he's done with Southampton to get back in the England squad. So I just think he was treated very very poorly by Pardew. And I think that was a major error as far as our goalkeeping uh, situation goes. It was just an odd thing to I think to kind of take the pressure that the team were under after, you know, I think a couple of dodgy results, but to to just kind of impart that onto one player rather than to kind of accept that mistakes will happen with a goalkeeper, you're not going to get a reaction. You you know, when you give give a player a shirt and say, you know, you're right, you're you're my number one. If they make one mistake and you take him straight out, that that can ruin them. And he, you know, that's why he, he could never put him back in after he did that. He kind of, you know, made his own bed kind of thing. And yeah, we're we're the ones who lost out, in my view. The odd thing about it was that he didn't really play for QPR very much at all. When we bought him, he hadn't he hadn't been their keeper, so it must have been something that Pardew saw in him because obviously at the time, where this, this was pre Dougie era, wasn't it? So. Um, we hadn't got, you know, the sporting director looking for stuff. So I, I presume it was Pardew's decision to sign him. So it just seemed it just seemed really odd. And the fact that he went off to have such a great time at Southampton just rubbed it in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was a, there was a scouting network. We had, um, I've forgotten his surname now, Tim something. Went on to Brighton in the end. Um, but yeah, it was, so we had, we had a head scout. We had the, the fabled database, which was... Um, you know, almost trying to do the money ball kind of thing, which is why we were, how we were identifying a lot of our signings. But it it was the you know for me it was the right player, but just the the wrong manager, I guess. But you know these these things happen. You know, not every signing works out, but it is definitely a, a what if kind of signing. Another what if kind of signing at the end was we, we brought in Connor Wickham, player that had been linked with us a couple of times, and I can remember talking to Steve Parish on a on one of the shows. I think it was the season before in the January window when we were talking about trying to get a striker in. And um, I think we, we asked him the question and he said, well, who? I can remember saying, well, you know, we, we're linked with Connor Wickham. And he said at the time then uh, th- that we were interested in Wickham from Sunderland, but they weren't willing to sell. But we, we got our man. Um, 
before the before the season kicked off. And again, another exciting player was extremely well regarded as a sixteen year old. He was thought of as the best striker in, in youth football. I can recall him tearing our um, our youth team apart playing for Ipswich, um, and, the, and the club really sort of stood up and took notice. Then big money moved to Sunderland, where quite often he was played wide left instead of as a as a striker, but had all the attributes to to be a very very top player. Again, I was I was really excited with this one. And I was too, and I remember one particular season, he, he kept them up by themselves, Sunderland. He scored about four or five goals in a stretch. I remember they beat Man City in a very important match for them. So he was, I thought it was a really good signing for us. Um, like you said, he was at the right age, young. Again, you said he played out wide for Sunderland. I was hoping we played more central, which we have done. And he's a big, strong young lad. And I thought it was a good signing for us. The only problem, obviously, has been his injuries. But I've, I've, I've liked him. And I remember the season before, he scored in that game when Yannis uh, scored the hatchery. He scored a goal against us. So yeah, great I thought it was goal. a very good signing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was a good yeah. player, really. Good signing. Yeah, um, just to make a point of order, Mikey's reminded me it was Tim Coe was the, the scout, the head scout at the time. Correct. Thank That's you. Thank it. you for that. Well done. Um, but yeah, I think what was weird about Wickham is that he hadn't really had a terrible injury record, but he joined with a, with a reputation of having a ter- terrible injury record for some reason. Because I can remember looking at it at the time, everyone was like, "Oh, we've you know signed an injury prone striker," and he'd had one one quite serious injury. But other than that, there was there was nothing in his history to kind of suggest it. There's one of those things where it became a self fulfilling prophecy. Everyone said he was an injury prone striker, and then he became one. Um, but obviously, that has really affected his career at Palace. But he had a pretty strong season for us this year. Um, not huge numbers of goals, obviously, but um, you know, built up a bit of form and was looking a, a, a really good buy for us at, at one stage. Uh, we also signed Bakri Sacco. Um, big reputation at, at Wolves. I can remember something, I think it was Terence that said it, actually, who said um, he's got a world-class left foot and a championship uh, rest of him. And I kind of think that sums uh, Sacco up a bit. But he made a huge impact when we initially signed him. Um, I think the Chelsea game in particular sticks in my mind where he um, um, sort of t- turned the game in, in our favour. Also um, scored against and, Villa early in the season. Game winning against Villa, yeah, Villa also. Absolutely right. So it was it was a... He was very direct. That's the thing with him, and that's that's what he brought to the team at the time. It was something we really needed at the time as well. A player who was just willing to have a shot. I can remember watching us pass the ball around, and it was just the crowd was sort of screaming "shoot" in ever sort of increasingly desperate voices for most of this <laughs> most of this season. And bringing him hit, bringing him in, uh, really sort of gave us someone who was prepared just to just to have a pop. And uh, it's amazing how much of a, a difference that made at times. Well, Steve, very quickly through... Oh, sorry, Mike, go on. Oh, it's all right. I was just going to say, it, it's weird how it's, it's someone else's money, but it always bothers me so much. So we pick up a free transfer and they look good after a few games and impress me and it just makes me like them a lot more. And, and I was confused at the time, considering how much Wolves fans absolutely adored Sacco, uh, how, how we managed to get him. Um, and it didn't take long for me to absolutely fall in love with him. Absolutely right. And look, he fell out of favour again because of the injuries. But there was a, a spell in the later season, which I'm sure we'll cover again, where I think it was the season after, wasn't it? Where he just became a real fan's favourite for getting some really important goals at important times, played as an auxiliary striker. But it was more that he just had seemed to have that, played with a smile on his face and, and he would just come and celebrate with the fans. And, and, you know, it was just one of the things as a player that seemed to really 
enjoy having a connection with the support. And that was definitely something that he had at Wolves, um, as, as you rightly observed, Mike. So in January, we had three incomings. Um, we'll talk about the big one in a moment. Um, but <laughs> Freddie Ladapo, who's now come, uh, well, last last season at the time of recording, did very, very well um, at Plymouth and has um, signed for Rotherham now. So he might be heading back up the leagues. But that was a, a non-league signing. It started at Colchester, I believe. A bit of promise, dropped out into non-league and we just took another pump, which we, we like to do every now and then, see if a, a free-scoring non-league striker, see if we can pick up a Jamie Vardy. Haven't quite managed it yet, but always worth a pump. Um, Emmanuel Adebayor, we've mentioned already, but um, I'm, I'm going to go on record now saying I I liked <laughs> Emmanuel Adebayor. I, I didn't think it would work, certainly in the sense that I didn't think he was going to turn up and be the Adebayor of, of Arsenal and Man City standard. But we didn't really have anything at the time, anyone who was scoring any goals. And I can vividly remember the first couple of games he played for us. And I remember him scoring a header as well, which was a really decent header. But he just... He actually played as a striker. He stood He stood up front. He occupied the areas you want a striker to occupy. And we, at least we had someone who was playing up top that if we gave him an opportunity, they might put it away. I suppose with hindsight, I was being overly optimistic, but I kind of like that we tried. Yeah, you know what? You're right. Because I, I, I was assuming up until this second when you said that, that I always thought Adebayo was a bellend. But it actually, when he came in... And everyone from other clubs said, don't touch him with a barge pole. I was actually really happy. And when he scored, I think he scored one in a defeat against Watford. That was probably his only goal. Um, I was like, yes, yes. And then uh, when we beat, I think we beat Spurs in the cup and there was just sort of meme of him doing the rounds with a, a smile on his face. It's like, yes, this this is the Palace cheeky, cheeky bloke we all want. And then it fell apart. So I've, I've just rewritten history in my head to think that I actually I couldn't stand him but yeah you're right we yeah at the time it was like awesome Adebayo yeah and I, I maintain it a lot of people would have done exactly as you did and, and I've, I've done it myself as well kind of that rewritten history I always, always knew it was ridiculous signing but it wasn't it, it uh, you know it was it was worth a punt in my view and those that initial impact it looked like it could work but it didn't yeah, and I know people are looking for goals from Adebayor because that's his, that's his you know, background. But if you think about it, as Mike just mentioned, during that cup run, he was very instrumental in a lot of goals that we scored during that cup run. He was instrumental in the Tottenham match Mike mentioned. I misspoke last time, but the Reading semi-quarterfinal uh, he played well in. And um, I thought he did well. I was there at the Watford game. I thought he did well when he came in late, kind of helped us you know, keep that 2-1 lead. So I think, yeah, the goals weren't there, but performances overall, I thought he actually put himself about pretty well and did a decent job for us. And again, people just looked at the Adebayor for Man City and, and also expected us to have him, but that was never going to happen. So as a punt, I think it, was a, it wasn't It was great, but it wasn't as bad as people make it out. To yeah, be. absolutely. People talk about it like it was one of our worst signings ever and an absolute joke, but the reality was he was certainly no worse than 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 a lot of the strikers we had um, over over the, this period, really. Yeah, but you, um, you you come out after you've left to say it was your worst decision you ever made. <laughs> yeah, you, you're not going to end up being too high in people's opinions. Are you? No, absolutely right. No, no, and again, I I don't didn't really remember that quote until he said it, and it's you know I can I can kind of understand it in a way in the sense that we we weren't a team struggling like we were in the league this year as of course we'll be getting into wasn't the environment for a 
you know, a big reputation player to come and restore his reputation. Um, and let's not, well, let's face it, he, he it's not like he started every match either. And that would have certainly got on his nerves because I reckon he would have signed, assuming that he would play every game because of his reputation as well. So there was definitely a mismatch there. But the big signing, of course, in January was was Randall Williams. Uh, Mike, really, you, you desperately want to talk about. Um, uh, he looked like a, a, a sort of emaciated Sean Scannell. And um, yeah, yeah, good, uh, good. Uh, Born from, uh, was it Tower Hamlets? I think it was. Uh, he he had he had quite the pedigree coming into uh, Palace. He had played no appearances for any side of night whatsoever. Uh, got him from Tower Hamlets. Uh, he's now at Exeter though, so he has gone he has gone on to carry on with a professional career. So fair play to Randall. Absolutely right, and I'm being slightly facetious. I, I don't. I, I saw him play a couple of games. I remember him scoring a few goals for the under twenty threes, but. Get another punt from non-league to see see what we got, and he did go to Watford afterwards uh, before before ending up at uh, Exeter via loans at Wickham. Yeah, we've tried that a few times, and it's never worked out. But you got to give the club credit for at least trying. But the thing I don't like about those efforts, we don't really give those players any real chance. He put stick him under twenty threes, and that's it. Because I remember Williams when he came, when he signed, they talked about him being a wide player. You know, maybe he could come in and do you know do a job like Wilf or like Yannick. And we, I, I, he never made an appearance for the first team, obviously. And I don't remember him having that many appearances for the uh, 23s. I remember, again, Apaya we tried that with and Freddie Ladapo we tried it with, which we've, we've done it about four or five times, but we've never actually given that player an opportunity. We're trying, like you just mentioned, Chris, we're trying to find the next uh, Jamie Vardy without actually giving that player, you know, any first appearances, which is a little, little bit strange for me. Well, Ladapo, I mean, he came from Margate and, I, you know, there, there was big talk about him, you know, they took a punt and he didn't cost anything. But I think he was scoring like, he scored an absolute shared ton of non-league goals. Um, and he, it, because of the state we were in with uh, strikers, I think he did actually play a couple of games. Um, but um, Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember who he played against now, but yeah, he, he started a game, I think. I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, I'm sure he did, yeah. But uh, anyway, there's a whole host of outs. I'm gonna I'm gonna read them just because I like to. Um, and there's a couple in there that we'll dwell on, but not huge amounts. Uh, we'll come back to the, the sort of main one I want to talk about. But out of the club were Shola Amiobi, Sonny Black, Michael Chambers, who we took from Dulwich again, another non-league punt with a reputation was scouted by Man United, but didn't really work out. I think we ended up sending him back. Uh, Shoniki Sh- Sh- Clement, Clement Peters, lovely name. Uh, Bradley Cummins, Kyle De Silva. Promised an awful lot. Palace fan. Eventually, we had to let him go. Injuries really saw uh, to him at Palace. Morgan Ferrier. Owen Garvin finally left long after uh, Ian Holloway, as he predicted. Uh, Jamal Howlett-Mundell. Elliot List, who's um, who'd had a little bit of um, little bit of attention in the media and for Gillingham in the Cup uh, fairly recently. Kai Martin. Lewis Price, the Welsh goalkeeper. Uh, Peter Ramish went <laughs> Rambo. Um, we talked about Rambo earlier on in these this series and what an amazing man and a player he is. Uh, Gus Sell, uh, I want to mention him. He was hu- really, really hugely tipped for big things at Palace as a youngster. Um, I can vividly remember the injury that saw to that in a uh, non-league game that Ben Nagel and I were commentating on. 
uh, played at Tooting and Mitchum. I can't remember the opposition, whether it was Tooting and Mitchum or not, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, took a bad injury there, never never really recovered. Now plays non-league and coaches at Palace. Uh, Jerome Thomas finally went, Barry Bannon went, Adelaine Guediora went, Glenn Murray, of course, uh, went. Might come back to that one. Uh, Fizeo Adarabayo, I'd put that in there to make me have to say it. Um, Jack Hunt finally went in January without playing a game. So um, we'll talk a little bit about Glenn Murray in a sec, but I also want to mention uh, the fact we let, well, Mandela Egbo chose to go and uh, join Borussia, I think it was Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, and he's just at the time of recording signed for a second tier German club after not making a breakthrough there. Now, he was very highly rated as a as a, as a right back and just took that, you could call it brave, we could call it unwise because he was pushing, um, he was training with the first team, potentially pushing to get some kind of recognition there. It was, was if, if he had stayed, and I suppose this is the question really, if he had stayed and carried on that trajectory, we might never have seen Aaron Wan-Bissaka end up as a right back. Um, he might have ended up being released um, as a as a winger who wasn't quite going to make it. And Patrick, couldn't things have been very different? 100% agree with you. It's a great point. I remember seeing an interview on Palace TV with, with Mandela Egbo prior to him obviously leaving. And he talked about, you know, training with the first team and his, his hopes for the future. He was under, I think, 17 in the international, played a bunch of tournaments for, for England. But you're absolutely right. I think had he stayed, there was, we would never have heard of Juan Basaka because he was touted. We'd heard about everybody heard about uh, Egbo. Um, Juan Basaka was a winger at the time, was a, a forward. So who knows what would have happened? But it's interesting because I think at that time he was probably being held back by by Water. Obviously, I think he said actually said at the time he left, they just didn't see a future at Palace because of the fact that they had got a, a decent right back in Joel Warden. You know, the avenues to get to the first team are kind of hard. So it's a shame. I give him credit for the the punt that he took. I feel bad for him now because I don't think he would have wanted to end up in the second tier of German football right now. I think we were pushing right now to play in the Bundesliga. But I got to give him credit. At the age that he left that and where he was, it was a, it was a huge punt on his, on his uh, part. And I hope it works out for him. Am I wrong in thinking that from what I remember, it, it was kind of more his choice than, than the club's? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was offered a contract, but chose not to sign it. And he was one of the the first of a of a glut of of young players who have, have done that and continue to do that now. Which is um, it's an interesting tactic by some of the, the the Bundesliga clubs to try and take some of the higher rated English young players who might not be getting an opportunity um, as perhaps as early as they might uh, in Germany, but. As we say, it didn't quite work out for him, but certainly an interest. He's well, he's still young enough for to have a to have a very good career. But I think it's just yeah, from from the point of view of you know one decision from him potentially changing Aaron Wambasaka's life and and Palace's finances and uh, performances in, in just it's just amazing how things all link. He's only twenty one. He'll be twenty two in August, so he's still very very young. He's got a huge future ahead of him, I'm sure. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. So. Um, Glenn Murray, we won't spend a huge amount of time talking about this. We've done done a good half hour on transfers already, but um, it's, we, we couldn't not mention it. So at the time, obviously sold to uh, Bournemouth for good money. So let's let's first of all state the obvious, which is Alan Pardew wasn't going to give him opportunities. I think we spoke to Peter Ramage around the time as well, and he said, "Well, you know, Glenn wanted to play. That was that was his sole motivation, and that's he he wanted to leave Palace because." 
he knew he wasn't going to be picked. Um, at the time, I thought, you know, Glenn had come back and d- done pretty well in some games, but still wasn't looking like the player he was prior to the injury. And um, I thought to get relatively good money for him at the time from Bournemouth was was great for the club and great for him as well to go and get a, a good cup, two, three-year contract at his age with that recent injury to go and play elsewhere in, at the top level. I just thought it worked brilliantly for everybody. And it's funny how things turn out sometimes, isn't it? Obviously, didn't really do tremendously well at, at Bournemouth, although scored a couple of key goals, including, including a winner against Man United. But um, ended up going obviously back to Brighton and playing a year in the Championship where he really found that form again. And at 34, 35, is, um, is still a goal-scoring Premier League striker. So, yeah, quick, how do we feel about that, Mike? And Patrick? Uh, I mean, I, I was... It sounds like I was more gutted than, than you uh, at the time. Um, obviously, we'd got in Connor, um, but I felt like he was always quite a streaky striker and, and just, you know, to have a bad run w- was not reason to, to stop playing him or to, to get rid of him. Um, and four million seems, obviously, he was getting on, but four million seemed like it wouldn't help us in the same way as he would. And certainly by the end of the season, and by the start of the next season, when we were struggling to score, it 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 really felt like it was a a poor decision. And I think he did all right at Bournemouth as well. So, um, yeah, I I it wasn't so much mixed feelings. I was quite disappointed. I remember reading on the message board how people were up in arms about it. And at the time, I honestly wasn't as upset about it because we had Wickham, and I I really liked the the possibility of Wickham coming and and doing good things here. Um. But it didn't work out. And in retrospect, it was one of the worst things we, we could have done. Not necessarily because um, uh, of Glenn Murray, what he did before, but the fact he went on to Brighton and did so many good things with them. I think that's what bothered me more than anything else. But again, at the time, I'm going to be totally honest, I wasn't that bothered by it. I just really thought that, you know what, he was he was injured. And like though Pardew, to me, never gave him a chance to get back from the injury and prove himself, I was like, okay, we got X amount. I think Mike just said four million for him. I thought that was a decent amount of money from Bournemouth. If we go to Bournemouth and, and basically go away and stay there forever, that would be fine. But then having to go to Brighton and, and basically bounce back and do what he did for us, that's the part that, that's gutting to me. It really is. It, but for me, I know I still maintain this, and I, you know, I got some grief for, for maintaining this for a long period of time. But without him dropping a division, I don't think he would ever have recovered to the, to the level he has now. I might be wrong in that, but that's how I feel about it. Um, because obviously, as, as we'll get into, we we didn't miss him for, for the first half of the season. And he was on and off the bench at, at, at Bournemouth. And, you know, we were, you know, we were, we were doing fine. <laughs> so it didn't feel like a bad decision at that time. It's only, it's only when you let a certain amount of time pass that it, it ended up being a, a, a terrible error for exactly the reasons you say, Patrick, um, in the fact that he went on and made Brighton a better team. And, and as you say, Mike, he, um, for the for the money we got for him, he, he would have done more more good than the four million quid did. But what I will say is, whoever your manager is and what, however they turn out, if the manager doesn't want a player and the manager wants a player sold, you know you've really got to to try to back your manager. Um, I'm glad we didn't back Pardew in every decision that he wanted to make um, because there was a, a strong suggestion that he wanted. Um, to sell Wilfred Zaha for about £15 million to Tottenham. So I'm um, glad he didn't get to do that. But 
at the same time, you, you know, the board have got to look at what the manager wants to do, and, and, and that's what they did. Well, just the other one more point quickly. I know we've gone on about transfers for ages, but at the time, Bournemouth were, they seemed like the most direct, equal uh, standing team as a competition in the Premier League. So it seemed, it, it, it was the extra thing of us losing a player that had been so influential to us to a team that were probably our most direct rivals in terms of quality is probably what stung more. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um but again, we, we, I guess we weren't to know exactly how things were going to turn out. But, you, but you're right. Anyway, um, so we had a, we had a, went into pre-season, and um, I think there were most of it was local friendlies. Although we did have a, a trip to Europe, went on a European tour to play Union Berlin, where we lost two 0 um, But not a huge amount to talk about in terms of pre-season. But no, it no, was an incredible. We went to South Africa. Did we? Yeah. The Cape Town uh, Cup, no? I have completely forgotten about the Cape Town <laughs> Cup. You can, that existed. You're absolutely yeah, right. We're, we're, we're <laughs> South Africa, yeah. Well, um, yeah. hang on a second. The Cape Town Cup, that that has blown my mind. We did, right? We did, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, was that not the well, next was year? It, was it this season? You, uh, no, because the season I, after we went to I America. I think no, season after. No, was it? I think we went to America this season. This, this needs no, we played the beat two sport four nil, and we lost to Lisbon. Sport Lisbon two nil in the final. I'm, I remember it. I'm looking at it too. That helps, but okay. you're but, cheating by looking but, things well, up. I've got to look it up because I, I can't make a statement like that and then not follow up by it with some facts. But no, we actually went to South Africa, played Super Sport United from South Africa, beat them four nil, and then we lost to, in the final to Sport Lisbon two nil. Okay, Late I remember July. going to the Fulham Fulham game, and that's the only one that sticks in my mind. <laughs> you won all, you won all in that game. Yeah. yeah, and there was more <laughs> Palace fans there than there was Fulham fans. I remember that. The Cape Town Cup. Well, there you go. That had completely <laughs> left my mind. So obviously, obviously, I put a lot of importance into that one. Um, wow, wow, mind blown. But there we go. <laughs> but let's let's move on. It was. It was uh, it was an amazing start for Palace. We opened with a, a 3-1 away win at Norwich, um, as we talked about when we talked about Johan Kabay scored in that uh, in that game and to sort of kind of set the excitement levels to a kind of feverish level. Um, in the opening eight games, we lost to Arsenal, Man City and Spurs only, um, which you can kind of understand. We beat, we beat Villa, we beat Chelsea, Watford and West Brom. And after the West Brom game, we were third in the table. Um, Blassie scored in the second half and Kabay with a last-minute penalty. Um, and we sat there behind Manchester City uh, with 18 points and Man United with 16 points. And little old Palace sitting there in third, 15 points. Incredibly exciting start to the season. And, I mean, it didn't stop there, gents. It, we had a little wobble, lost a couple of games, West Ham and Leicester. Managed a nil-nil draw with Man United and obviously beating Liverpool uh, 2-1 at Anfield. We still had the... Um, well, we, we were their bogey side, weren't we? And uh, a late goal from Scott Dan, if you remember rightly. I think with Blassie with the first. Coutinho scored just before half-time. Uh, but Dan, second attempt, if I remember. He had a little header, didn't he? It was blocked and he headed it back in again. Um, exciting times. Uh, just quickly go back to the very first game because I did ask uh, some listeners to tell us about their uh, their best memories from that season. So uh, Benj on Twitter said, 
Goodbye goal, Norwich away. First game of the season. Glorious sun, unreal away day. And those are the kind of days that you, uh, you're you a Palace fan for, aren't they? Absolutely right. And things just felt so good at, at the time. We'd obviously finished with a brilliant run of form the season before. And it was it just felt like it was coming together. We'd signed some real quality. And the evidence was there. We were we were we it wasn't like we were up, up there for a couple of games. We were staying up there. Um and I, yeah, I was I was getting very, very carried away. I won't tell you the bet I put on at the time that obviously I then lost, but but I was very, very excited. All right, so I want to refute this this myth going around the internet via Naveed Khan that I was the cause of our wobble. Because you just <laughs> said you just said that we lost after going to sixth place, beating Tony Pelusi's side. We then lost to West Ham and Leicester. I say our wobble began then. Yes, we bounced right, back, so... United nil nil, and beat Liverpool. But then we lost to Sunderland. Remember the Sunderland game, Defoe. So don't tell me it's my fault. I'm not having it. I'm not having this. I'm well, we'll, we'll have we'll have a look at okay. how the results went okay. when you came over and saw us. We'll Clearly. have a look at those in just a minute, Clearly. just to examine the facts. That's all we're going to look at, Patrick. We're going to look at the facts. Um, but yeah, well, listen, we we got back on track with that uh, draw and, the, and the, uh, against Man United and the win at Anfield. Um, obviously, that defeat to Sunderland you mentioned just just Jermaine, Jermaine Defoe always does it against us, doesn't he? We can't can't help scoring against us, but. Um, but you know, a good strong run of results after that would beat New, uh, beat Newcastle five one, which was I'm sure glorious for for Alan Pardew and a real sort of shift um, from the the four one we talked about previously um, with us having Kabai in the side. Um, obviously, draw against Everton, beat Southampton, and then a magical day, Patrick, where where Palace. Oh, sorry, Mike wants to jump in. Sorry, Mike. Yeah, I, I just feel you're overlooking. Uh, something very important earlier on in the season that that two-one uh, win away at Chelsea, Joe Ward's goal. They don't come very often. I think we need to just have a minute to remember that the winner against it's Chelsea came. Diving header, Joel Ward. What a yeah. man! What a man! Yeah, he, he, went, he just ended up in the box for no apparent reason. But that's uh, when we were talking about Sacco earlier on. That was he turned that game massively, and um, yeah, I can remember watching Joel Ward's run at the time. Um, I watched that game, I think a bunch of us were at uh, Lucy White, formerly of this parish's house at the time, uh, watching that game in absolute disbelief. And I was wondering what on earth Joel Ward was doing, but he just kind of, it sort of started a slow jog and he just carried on moving. No one picked him up at all. And it just ended up um, ended up being out and nod that one in. But you're right to bring that up. It was, it was glorious. So I want to talk, Patrick, about... Um, about the Stoke game because you watched that, didn't you, in uh in the old New York there. So first of all, we know we won two one, but um it was a great way to win a game first and foremost, wasn't it? Fantastic way to win a game. Um I venture to the football factory probably once a month to watch a game. And at that match, I was lucky enough to meet the great Sam. Producer Sam. So you've avoided saying a surname like I often do. Because I think it's it's, Clacker, it's Clacker, right, isn't it? Samantha Clacker. Which are which which are the things that you put on the wheels of um, kids' bikes that <laughs> make a noise? Um, I did say that. Um, I, you know, if I was her, I would I pronounce it Clache. <laughs> but I'm just that's just me. But anyway, yeah, you got to meet producer Sam and her husband um, Adam, and it was I, the thing that was funny yeah. about it is that um, she recognised me. I'm not sure how. She kind of walked over to me and said, are you Patrick from the back of... No, actually, no. It was Holmes Radio back then. 
I said, yes. Yeah, yeah. And then we'd gone into a nice conversation. She was very, very nice, very friendly. And then after that happened, um, she ended up becoming a producer uh, based on like that conversation of loving the show. She was a very big fan and she contacted Mike, etc. But the game was a great game, um, obviously, the way it ended. I mean, the the goal by Chung Young Lee. What do they call that? They say limbs. Is that what you guys call it when things like that happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There were limbs at a football patch that day. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, a lot of beers getting thrown up in the air, and it was it was great. The only bad thing was that so Yannick got hurt in the celebration, which was disappointing and upsetting for me as a big Yannick fan. But yeah, it was a very it was a great win, and that took us up to I guess we were in I guess I think sixth place at that point. We were rolling. Yeah, I'm pretty, we were absolutely. You got to remember this this was on the 19th of December. Yeah. So this was our last game before Christmas, and then um, something very bad happened. <laughs> Something very bad happened after I that. Flew over. Can I just say, I, I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just before we, I just I always loved last minute goals or very very late goals. Are just that's what. It's not the only thing that keeps me watching football, keeps me going to games, but it's it's to me, it's like the lifeblood to me. There's something that goes in your mind. You talk about limbs, but I never get when I see fans of other clubs scoring late goals and just politely clapping. The only appropriate action is to just run somewhere <laughs> and just, just flailing your arms about and screaming. And then, you know, you're not really supposed to get your self-awareness back for a good, I'd say, 90 seconds minimum is my standard. So, you know, that I think that's how you can sort proper fans from just, you know, regular, some regular watchers of football. A, you know, a proper fan will not be able to physically control themselves at the, uh, at the site of a last-minute goal. But you're right, Patrick. So following that, we on Boxing Day, we drew against Bournemouth, the 0-0. And that was followed up by uh, a game you watched, Patrick, wasn't it? Correct. Um, I actually met you in mm. the... Oh, gosh. Where do you guys sit? Arthur Waite. In the Arthur Waite. I met you, Lucy. We sat in the back. It was kind of it was fun. It was a lot of fun. My friend Will came over <laughs> too. That was a lot of fun. My, my son was there. And uh, we got a point against Swansea, which is why I will state again, it wasn't me that caused this demise of Crystal Palace. But what happened the next match, oh, the, the game against Chelsea, was an absolute disgrace. <laughs> that game was <laughs> awful. I mean, honestly, I've, I've yet to see a worse display by Crystal Palace at home. That was really, really bad. We were manhandled. We were destroyed. We just played really poorly that game. And the only thing I remember out of the game was that at the end of that game, well, actually, one good thing was John Yester got a chance to get into the game, which is brilliant to see him play live. Uh, but was uh, at the end of the game, Bamford basically just said he wasn't coming back to Palace. <laughs> Left yeah. us, went back. To the I, mean, I was back. devastated by that. Yeah, really upset about that. But um, <laughs> no, look, we obviously, uh, you know, after the Swansea point that you witnessed, you know, that good, great point, yes, thank definitely you. not great a turning point. point in the season. Yeah. Excellent point. Did, nothing was ruined there. But after that point, we're going into the January window, and you're thinking. We are we are still pushing top six here. We we've got a real chance here, and we're going into a window where we can address any of the minor issues that we've got. How can't we? Right? You know, we, we probably need a, maybe maybe get another decent striker in, something like that. Just add something to the squad, change the change those faces. We've got a real chance to kick on here. European tour. That's what we're all thinking. And then the curse of Patrick. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It just it, it fell apart. You forget the FA Cup it, it, run, don't you? That came. You forget an FA Cup run. It's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. 
Uh, I mean, but by the by the time the Watford game came about, um, I I remember thinking when we we lost two one, and I think that was the game that Adebayo scored one. But I, I think we were already two 0 down, as from what I can remember. I actually went into the game thinking we're we're no longer capable of winning, and and looking back at the list now, that was it was still another five games, six games before we got a win. So that they were they were dark time. I mean that was that, that was as dark a time as the the, the seven game losing streak at the start of the season a couple of years later. Dark times and the FA Cup just made it worse because you're like, well, we can play, we can like, but why why is what has Pardew done to make it that he only seems to care about a, a knockout competition? And that they were dark days. It was it's the sort of thing where you think that something psychological has happened here. Um, I also think fitness was a real factor as well. I think the players' condition, um, something was up with the training. I, I'm convinced of that because the players' condition was awful. Um, we just Players were struggling. We were sort of picking up bookings left, right and centre because people seemed to be making very, very tired challenges all the time. It just, we didn't look the same team. But, you know, you sort of mentioned it there, Mike. From that the win against Stoke, it was which was the 19th of December 2015. We didn't win another league match until the 9th of April 2016. That is just incredible. To, to, after being pushing top six for your form to dip just to that level. It, it, was, it was horrific. At the time, um, the Villa match, Tuesday, January 12th, I'm going to bring it up because I think it was a turning point. I want to know why we didn't change our goalkeeper after this match. There was a goal, the game that the ball went through our goalkeeper's looks. That would be Wayne Hennessy, Jordan Escott, header. It went through his legs and we lost 1-0 away. And I and I can I contend that we never got any confidence after that. Chelsea was, Chelsea was just a bad game, I'll give it that. But from that game in January 12th, league-wise, we just didn't have any good performances as a team. And I think a lot of it had to do with our, uh, you know, just, 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 Poor, poor, poor play. Well, I think when you look at how McCarthy was treated yep. in terms of making yep. a an error, the the Hennessy error was every bit as bad. And unfortunately, that you know there wasn't a consistent approach to that. Um, but but I mean you know that obviously it's one game, but that was an opportunity to 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 stop a run. But that that actually we just obviously lost lost to Chelsea, but. After that followed another three defeats after the Villa defeat. It was, you know, five defeats on the bounce before we got another point against Swansea and then another two on the bounce and then a point and then another two on the bounce. And that was, yeah, you, it it would be less bewildering, as, as Mike says, if it wasn't for the fact that we were winning in the cup. And so we had zero points in January. In February, we got one point in that draw with Swansea. On winning that point, we were still in 12th place, but we're now 13 points of fourth where we were sitting level um, just before Christmas. And we were only nine points outside the relegation zone. And obviously the only bright spark in that whole period was when Martin Kelly became Gareth Bale, and just sauntered up the wing to smash in the ball at White Hart Lane to, uh, to take Palace further in the FA Cup. But again, one point in March... The entire of March, we've got three three months, and we've taken two league points. And this point in March was um, was from Sunderland. And I mean, I didn't I didn't know what to think at the time. I think March the nineteenth, the Leicester game, 
we were 16th and eight points clear of the drop. And yes, brilliant. We had we had the the FA Cup semi final to look forward to. Uh, sorry, quarter final against Reading. And yeah, we scored. We we won that game. And as much as Fraser Campbell tried his absolute best to miss uh, miss scoring from essentially on the goal line, we still won that game 2-0 and went into the next round of the cup. But, you know, I think we're, we're heading towards, without talking about the FA Cup with the league, we're heading towards the pivotal point. And we had another, we had what was an absolutely crucial period of time. We just lost to Leicester, as I said. We went into April and we managed to avoid defeat for four games in a row. Only one of them was a win, but what a game it was. What an emotional moment against Norwich City. 1-0, and Patrick, it was Jason Punchin. And what will stick in the memory of any Palace fan who was there or, or, or saw it for a long, long period of time, just the absolute raw emotion that kind of fell out of him as he ran off celebrating that. It's still to this day my screensaver on my laptop. It's It was just a proper Palace moment. It was. And the commentator's uh, quote is punching it's beautiful it's just it's just it's great it really was and the emotion is what i love about that man and i know people have criticized punching for other things but if you, again if you want to go back and look at the record he is so responsible for keeping us up for every season bar last year he was part of the big part of the team he would always score crucial goals down the stretch and keep us up and that norwich goal was the one that kept us up because you know you're talking about us being on on such a terrible terrible winless streak if we don't beat Norwich I mean the the pressure we're going to be under you know going to those last few matches would have been immense so no Jason Punchin a hero of mine you know one of our own love him to death and I mean again I just love the emotion you know he basically started crying after he scored that goal we'll see similar emotion from him in the cup final later on but that emotion that he showed was absolutely brilliant I just love the man just love him yeah and that's what you're so sorry, you're you're totally right about the pressure. I'd forgotten. I, I I remember it being like a proper pressure cooker that day. But it's because we had Everton, Arsenal, United as the next three games. Yeah. Um, and you know, I remember chatting with people at work who were saying, "Well, you, there's no way you're going down." And I was like, "What? There's a big, big way." You know, it, it's weird because it's it's a season where we actually were never. It's the only season we were never in the bottom three at any point in the season. Exactly. Um, but but that's 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 really weird because it, it was probably one of the most stressful seasons. I think for me, first of all, just you know, as as a supporter of a club, as a fan of a club, you want to see players with with that level of emotion. But to to get to your point, Mike, you're, you're absolutely spot on. The, the run we had was was terrible after that, um, and I think. Without winning that game, we probably don't get the point against Arsenal that that really sort of cemented things uh, that assured our safety. And you know, it's worth noting as well we we didn't we only won one of the last four games as well, which was penultimate game of the season uh, again against Stoke to to do the double over them. Um, but after the Arsenal game, um, you know, Pardew came out and said, "Because let's let's put it this way: any manager without that cup run." You'd have to have sacked him for that for that appalling run. You, there's no way you could go win two games for the rest of the season or three games for the rest of the season um, after after being in the top half, at, well, near the top six at Christmas, and not you know you, you, there's no excuse for that to not be able to arrest that slide, to not be able to do something different, to keep putting the team out and losing in the same way continuously. 
it was absolutely unforgivable. But he, he started rolling the excuses out against Arsenal. He said, the cup runners affected us, but I think we've put that to bed. We can't keep leaning on that. We need to focus on the league. I think the players have taken that message on board. And hopefully we can pick something up against Manchester United. Well, we didn't. Um, but, you know, he, he's, he's there admitting that the cup run affected us. But it's his job to stop that happening. And let's face it, we're talking about January through to April without a win. It's, it was only three games in the cup, wasn't it? <laughs> in that period, what on, what on earth are those? You know, the, the cup when the cup run when we're playing. I don't know when we're playing Tottenham. The players aren't at that point thinking, "Oh, I must focus on the cup because we're going to be in the final here." Are they? You know, it, it, to me, it's a, another in the long line of, of really weak Pardew excuses. I don't want to put a spoiler in for the next episode but he did only win six games the entire calendar year of 2016 so it didn't get any better after the FA Cup you know there was another seven months that he had a a, a, excuse for but I I remember at the time it's again this rewriting history I wasn't of the opinion that I wanted him out at all I, I just thought he was a streaky manager and he won as many games as he lost and and it took me a long time to change that Fair enough, Mike, because if you look at Newcastle record, he was very streaky. But, you know, what Chris said before, uh, Holloway and Warnock lost their jobs for a lot less than what uh, Pardew did during that, that streak. A lot Absolutely. less. So, yeah. I mean, the only the worst was De Boer, obviously, you know, De Boer's record was, was hideous. But again, so from that standpoint. But if I think about the, the whole thing with the cup run is that, think back for a second. We did not even use our first team squad for a lot of those early ma- early round matches. The Stoke match, don't think we used our first team squad. The Tottenham game, we definitely did not. I know Tottenham, for a fact, used a very under undermanned squad. We used Kelly. I mean, Kelly started that match and scored the goal. So, you know, um, it, it affected us. But it's not like we're using all of our first-team players in both the league and the cup. It just happened to be when we got to the Watford match and Reading. Sorry, by the Reading game, we started using it, our first-team. We just sort of tried to get to the cup final, which was makes total sense. But that excuse is very poor, That the pressure of the FA Cup, because he didn't take it seriously until we got past Tottenham. He didn't. I think it's really... Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think it's really interesting that you, you know we bring up the, the the streaky manager kind of stuff because he was on record a number of occasions as basically saying that that was normal. Yeah, he, he, he thought that that was a normal. He said, yeah, no, we, yeah. no, you're right. We haven't, we haven't won in 16 games. That's yeah, it's just that period of the season where you don't win 16 in 16 games. That's all it is. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Um, yeah, absolutely bizarre when you look back at it. Um, but you, obviously, you can't ignore the brilliant second half to the previous season that he that he was the manager for. And you can't ignore the great first half of this season that he was manager for. But it, his limitations were massively exposed in the second half of this season. And who knows what was really behind it. You know, I, I have my suspicions that, as I mentioned, it was fitness. Um, I think a degree of inaction in January because things were going so well. I think you, you still need to do the right things in that window. Yes, we brought in Adebayor. Um didn't work out. And as we mentioned, we brought in Randall Williams as well. Um, but you, you know what I mean? It's like, you, you really, if we had gone out and signed a couple of players of real quality there, um, you know, history could be very, very different. But there we go. So we've got to talk about it. Um, the cup was obviously the focus. And the semi final, yeah. Patrick, let's talk about the semi final first because you came over for that, didn't you? Yeah, the semi-final. So- I'd come over for the holidays because I hadn't seen my family in a while, so I had no plans to come back. But when Palace made the, the FA Cup semi-final, I had to come back. I mean, the opportunity was there to see Palace get to a cup final. So, flew over 
again, not with my son this time because he couldn't come over. He had school. So I came over and again, met you, met you guys at Wembley, sat, what, four or five rows behind you, behind the Palace goal. Yeah. Can I just apologize? Apologize. The semi-final was fine. We'll, we'll get back to that. Can I just apologize? I think you saw me at the final as well when I was in a bit of a state. <laughs> okay. so I I, I you actually were, but I didn't want to bring that up. That was fine. <laughs> I was that was a proper proper mess that day. Apologies. So for the semi-final, uh, we were we were in front of the HF, very great, close to them actually. And they made that they made that great thing where they had a lot of other fans there. And my abiding memory actually is Conor Wickham's goal because when that ball comes across from Suarez, I I knew it was going in right away because the angle I had at the goal, I knew if he got above, um, uh, the oh the the Watford defender, the guy from Chelsea. Uh, Ake, I know if he got above Ake, he'd score. And I, when he scores that goal, the place goes crazy. And it was just, it was, it was, it was one of the best things I've ever had to be at, at, at Wembley to see Pat get to a final. It was just a, a tremendous day. I mean, seeing you guys was great. Seeing other people I had not met before, people I met via Twitter that day was great. But just be there at Wembley to get us to the final was an absolutely fantastic, fantastic day. It really was great. Yeah, our, our celebration was my profile pic for ages. Yeah, that on was Facebook. pretty funny. We, we were so happy, weren't we, back then? We were just, just think about how happy we were just yeah, for that moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! But um, yeah, it was it was a it was a great great win. Um, and yeah, I think a special special moment. But it, it's only special if you then go on and and do something. Um, that that gives you those memories for the rest of your life, and unfortunately, it is tarnished. We've got to admit it. And the worst thing, obviously, was the hope in the final, because I remember just the first half just kind of went in a blur for me. Um, and I will say this now: I, I'd never watched the highlights back, and even in my notes, I wrote, "I've never watched the highlights back." It still hurts too much, and I never will. And then I immediately watched four-minute highlights <laughs> afterwards. I don't know what came over me. Um, and I was angry for two days after writing this, this show plan. Um, just, oh, anyway. But you know, the blur of the first half went. And then, obviously, I didn't feel that Man United were playing particularly well. Clearly, we were getting annoyed at the refereeing. Um, the Wickham incident in particular, where... You know, you you worry, don't you? When when you see, especially when you see the picture of Clattenburg with Alex Ferguson laughing and smiling before the game. Um, you know, obviously, he's, he was no longer their manager; it was Lou Van Hal. But you just think, yeah, okay, this yeah, things are stacked against us. And the decision to not allow Wickham to to play on where and he, and he finished brilliantly. And I don't believe for one second the defence were playing to the whistle at the time. Um, just yeah, just that that was bad, and you 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 fear the worst at that time. But the the big change was made, and and Jason Punchin comes on, and for for just a few minutes, the cup was ours. It just felt like it was meant to be. Punchin doesn't start, but you know, scores the goal off the ball, comes back to him out wide, just absolutely slams it in, and just we went obviously went mad. There were people staring at each other, tears in eyes, just everyone's shaking their head going, surely not, surely not. Because Man United hadn't done anything to make us think that they were going to come back into it. Um, I'm just going to go misty-eyed while you speak. Yeah, at that moment when Punchin scores, because it's the end where we were at, I look up, I'm not kidding, I looked up through the hole in Wembley Stadium and I started to cry. 
because I actually thought I flew over again for this cup final and we're going to win the cup. And I can't, you have to tell me, was it three minutes before they scored? I don't even know how long it was. It doesn't even matter. But for those two, three minutes, I'm not kidding. I've never been happier as a Palace fan. And you have to understand the Palace ball. I've been in Palace ball for a very, very long time. And I've seen a few highs. I mean, 79, 80, the big 94 promotion, the 1990 cup run, the ZDS cup, you know, promotion to the Premier League, relegation, promotion, relegation, and then they promote this run now. But that feeling there for a Palace fan who's there, I mean, if you watch it on TV, it's different. To be there and be around people, like-minded people, all, a lot of them crying and the emotion of that moment was absolutely fantastic. What I didn't see at the time, and I'm glad I didn't see it, was that stupid dance by Pardew. I never saw it. I didn't see it like going back to America. I never saw it. You know what it was oh. about. Didn't care. Oh. So I was, I was so, I was so happy. But then once they tied the match, I was like, oh no. And then extra time comes. But I mean, but for that moment, though, it was one of the best things I've ever had in my life. I was pretty lucky because I was absolutely hammered. I'd gone with <laughs> um, my dad, my my dad's my dad's social club is owned by a, a massive Palace fan. I think he owns a box. Um, gone with them luckily junk enough for it to I mean the goal went in it was great but the moment they equalised with that penalty it, it never seemed like it was it was going to work out and uh, alcohol took the edge off it I, I, I really didn't want to do this pod for, for, for discussing this game really because it's I've not got over it the same as Ham I've, I've never watched the highlights I don't remember anything else about the game um, and I'm I'm happy to keep it that way. I think to be well, honest. Well, you you remembered it, it was a penalty, and it wasn't. So, so that's the well, there, that's the first. There you go. Well, there, there you go. Yeah, yeah. But um, for for me, look looking back at it, and finally watching the highlights, I, obviously the the Lingard winner is infuriating. Um, but I, I don't want to say it was an it was, a, it was an amazing strike. But I mean, you know, he's he swung a boot at it and it's gone in. So, and especially that it's him. It makes it all the all the more worse. But for me, the most frustrating thing was that nobody had the temerity or foresight just to smash Rooney to the ground when he was dribbling around four or five players. You just have to, you know, you take one for the team. And I don't know what was going on in the players' heads at that time because it's exactly the sort of team that we were. Um, you know, you you would you would beg, you would we would throw our bodies at everything. And just for whatever reason, we just let him walk through. And yeah, terrific player, all that kind of stuff. I, you know, I'm a big fan of Rooney, but not on that day. And it, and it breaks my heart to watch that back. Um, not not the extra time winner to, to the equaliser. It's just just heartbreaking. Yeah, but the two things that frustrate me as much as that, and I, I'm gonna, I've definitely erased the uh, the goal because again, if you remember, it was down the far end. And I tell you guys, when a goal is called at Wembley, you get that that delayed reaction so I didn't hear the United fans cheer until maybe a second after the ball went hit the back of the net so but what frustrates me more is the the red card to Smalling and not finding a way to capitalize on that it was at 1-1 we had we had a, we were a man up at 1-1 and the fact that our manager couldn't find a way to, to change something up frustrates me and then if you guys remember Dwight Gale had a couple of chances to score um, and missed chances and that frustrated me only because not because I'm mad at him but because I, I loved him as a player and I was really hoping that he could have you know, got a goal because if you guys remember Ian Wright coming under the sub in ninety and getting those two goals, I had that thought in my mind stupidly yeah. that maybe he'd be able to do the same similar thing. But those things stick out. The the goal was was a ridiculously good goal. And like I said, the only memory I have is that it really is him smashing it, hitting the back of the net, 
Hennessy nowhere near it, and he, and he couldn't have never saved that. And then this really strange delayed reaction, and then the crowd goes crazy. And if you remember, Chris, there were also United fans above and the top of us for some strange reason yeah. on our side, and they were going nuts. And I was like, piss off. It was just really, really <laughs> crazy. Really was. Well, that's, that's how angry Patrick is. He swore there. Exactly. <laughs> Mikey, you beat that out, please? <laughs> Sorry. So, so, we, so we put an end to people suffering on this. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to make one last point, uh, and that is the when when you're walking away at the end of that, obviously, you, we're kind of, I'm kind of still quite proud, obviously, the fact that we got to an FA Cup final. But the, the thing that probably got to me the most on the day was that it didn't really mean anything to the Man United fans. The majority of them, you know, in, in the celebration... It meant nothing. He got sacked the same day. Yeah. yeah. And, and walking out of the ground, when we were leaving... Half of their fans were leaving. I said, "Why are you? Why are you leaving? You should be. If we had won that cup, we'd have been in there for five hours. They'd have had to physically drag every Palace fan out of there. It was. It's just, they just didn't care. And it, you know that's football's loss in a lot of ways because. Ah, oh, anyway, I'm gonna. I'm, 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 that's it. <laughs> I've got no, I've got to speak on that. So as I'm leaving, I left before the presentation. By the way, I'm sorry if I'm a, I'm a sports ball, but I couldn't watch a relay race. The cup. Yeah, I left early, and I'm with there. My I went with the, my friend Will Block again. Flew over for the final. So we met after the game, and you're absolutely right. All I remember, and if you guys, I don't know what time you guys left the match, but even if you left early, you got stuck in a bloody crowd trying to get out of there. They kept blocking the way to Wembley Way up to the train station. But all I heard the Man United fans and right behind me was complaining about about Van Harley won him sacked. And you're right, Mike, he was sacked before the freaking match was basically over. It was ridiculous. And they could have cared less about winning the cup. It meant nothing to them. They are such a bunch of spoiled fans. It's unbelievable. And you're absolutely right. For Palace fans, we were gutted that we lost. It would have meant the world to me. I am not the kind of fan who wants to win every single year. That cup would have meant the world to me. So I've actually said I saw Palace win the FA Cup. We could have got relegated the next year, been in League 2 now, I could care less. But you're right. Those fans were so spoiled. They could have cared one iota about winning that cup that year. It was so frustrating. We were all so upset and they couldn't have cared less. It was the worst. I hated that feeling <laughs> watching those idiots stuff. It, really, it drove yeah. me nuts. It really, Will, I mean, Will, we almost got into a fight with the Cup United fans. That, they were so like, oh, we don't care. We want him out. But I'm like, what are you joking? You just won the FA Cup. They couldn't care. It was, it was awful. I hated that. I hated it. It was terrible. Right, I need man. a whiskey. Well, look, I need a whiskey now. Yeah, yeah look, <laughs> let's never speak of it again. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that and also shared in our pain at the end there. Um, so obviously, if you want to get in touch and talk about anything we've discussed on the show or any mistakes that we've made, as people like to talk about, um, do get in touch. Uh, email is hi at backofthenest.com. Also, check out backofthenest.com for all articles and other bits and pieces. And of course, we'll be back fairly shortly. Uh, with the next season, which is the 2016-17 season on Back of the Nest, the Palace Years. Back of the Nest, the Palace Years. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.